One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Dear Joe Kane podcast with SJ and Eva B. Sarah Jane is still in Madrid and Eva is still in London. I am still in Dublin. And welcome aboard. SJ, I know you've been up since half past four. How are you feeling? You look fresh as a daisy. I feel good. I'm recording a book. She's the queen of the audiobooks. I wouldn't go that far, but I do record audiobooks, which is lovely. We built the studio in the wardrobe and it works, but unfortunately it doesn't work so well that we can't record during the day we have to record between the hours of five and eight before the building starts to come to so we've been getting up at half four which is like getting up for a very early Ryanair flight the first day was not great um I was in the studio and I was I sounded terrible you know I did not sound like a young voice that was reading a YA novel I sounded like a woman who was in her 80s who smoked 50 fags a day and I was I was very kind of emotional and like this is like we're was ten- that not always the <laughs> the dream for actresses that at the age of fags a day to have the touch the, of the Judy Dench about the, you yeah, yeah. The, Pat, the Pat Levy voice fabulous yeah um, and then I was so tired and Ellie came in, he had to kind of calm me down. I was, can't do this. This is ridiculous. And I felt, you know, this is what Katy Perry must be like in the middle of a world tour, you know, where she has her manager talking her down, going, oh, you have to go. You've got, you've got, you've got it in you. You have to go. And I, he was just looking at me going, okay, you have to pull yourself together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You see, and the Katy Perry offered a few drugs, I'd say, to get going. <laughs> Have a little offer for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. So there are no drugs on offer, just a cup of tea. Uh, that's where you went wrong. Tomorrow anyway, is a brand, brand new day. We bought a cinema screen. Did I tell you this? For the, living, for the living room. And last night, um, the telly was going on as usual about nine o'clock and Holly goes over and pull. I said, well, we just watch it on the telly. I'm not looking at that. Age 16. <laughs> I'm not looking at that little screen. I went over to pull the thing down just to watch a bit of telly. I said, oh, here we go. But anyway, interestingly enough, there was a few movies out this week uh, or in over the last few weeks about all the fabulous black singers in the world. Nina Simone. There was a documentary and a film by Tina Turner. There was another one. Um, but Holly had been watching some of it and made the comment to me because that they all seem to have come from the gospel singing church experience. This is how all these singers began in church gospel choirs. That was their first influence. So she said to me, why can't our mass be like that? Oh, oh, uh, why Jesus can't our Christ. churches? And I what a question though, you know, for a young one. And I found myself having to explain why we're so yeah. repressed. Oh my God, it was quite depressing. But but I thought, what an interesting question. And why have we not, um, now the other question I wanted to ask you two was like, uh, we don't do mass anymore. My children aren't even christened because it just that's how it came about. Are you two? No, no, no. brought up a Catholic, but... Um... Stopped going to church when I was 15, 16. Um, And at the age where you start to question and push the boundaries as to why you're going anyway and start to back then realise what the church actually believe in, the Catholic church believe in and 
realize again that you're so opposed to most of their teachings that's like that's it at 15 she's like that's it not going and mom dad has stopped going anyway mom still went but she totally accepted why at that age are feeling about it then I, I think she's very, you're very advanced to be thinking that way at 15, 16. I just didn't go, but I didn't question it. Oh, just, <laughs> I just couldn't be arsed. There was nothing behind it. No, uh, no thought, you know, just, oh, think I've had enough of that. Yeah. <laughs> but also I was in, I was in a boarding school, right? Until I didn't leave until I was 17. And up until fifth year, I, we went to mass every single day before breakfast. Before breakfast. Doesn't that make me sound like somebody from another century? My sister went to boarding school as well and they went to mass every day. My parents still go to mass every day. Um, Their faith is incredibly important to them. That's why your mom and dad, Eva, at that age was kind of extraordinary. I think because of the issues that um, we, I say we, because I remember my, my brother and I sort of did it around the same time. We shared the same views, which we would all share now. Um, and But they, they were indisputable. You know, there are issues concerning, you know, um, homosexuality and um, uh, what's that stuff you use when you don't have babies? <laughs> Contraception. <laughs> That's the one. That's where I went wrong. <laughs> That's the word. Divorce. Um, you know, all, all, all the, the big issues that the Catholic Church um, then, I don't know what they teach now, I'm assuming it's the same, um, were, were morally opposed to. Um, and, and so we were morally opposed to their stance on it. And mum and dad just couldn't argue that. It's just like, you know, they're, they weren't homophobic. They weren't anti-divorce. They weren't any of those things. So they didn't really have a leg to stand on. So they very graciously and um, without much of a fight said, okay, if you don't want to go, you don't want to go. And also my father had stopped going. So he really did not, you know, he didn't have a say in the matter anyway. He just sort of put his hands up and went, oh, okay. Um, Whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. Mom, on the other hand, kind of surprised us and herself. Not that long ago. I say it's, it's now it's five, 10 years ago now, I suppose, because she continued going to mass right up until then um, and very much had her faith and it meant a lot to her. And she'd, she'd, she'd go once a week and then suddenly she stopped and she said, I just don't think I believe anymore. Mm. Wow. And that was at the age of guys. That's unusual. Very yeah, unusual. Very for the first generation. Yeah. Yeah. Just, see, just one day just went, I've been thinking about it for a while. And I don't, don't think I believe anymore. She likes to go at um, Christmas time. That, that's, that's kind of it. But you know what I found quite sad when, when I, I was being asked by one of my kids, you know, why can't our church be like that? I thought, you know what, if it was, would I take them? And the answer is probably yes. If I was taking them to an event that was joyous, I like I actually believe in what it stands for, a community coming together where we can discuss, you know, things that are going on in our world in, in, a, in a really open and joyous way and help the community and help those who are lesser off in the community and all the things that a church is meant to be about. I'm actually pro all of it. But our system, our way through all of the scandals and all of the terrible things that have happened, and particularly how women have been treated, right, from the Magdalene laundries right the way through, has all just been so bad that we have fled in our thousands and not really come back. And I just felt very sad about it. I just thought, why can't we be more joyous? Well, and I think that I think you've hit the nail on the head with that word joyous because, you know, you took a snapshot of a mass in a Catholic church. It's so somber and it's so, as a kid, quite terrifying and disturbing. The iconography, the imagery they use, and it's, you know, about repenting and sin and, and it's, it's a dark place. There's nothing joyous about it. It's, it's the opposite. Uh, Holly mentioned the gospel choirs earlier. I mean, talk about joy. 
watching the yeah. gospel choirs is just full of joy and, and happiness and celebration, celebrating our life and love. And I mean, that that's welcoming. Totally. That would make you want to walk through the Completely. Door. And you know what always strikes me when I'm watching them? Their lack of inhibition. They are absolutely out there. Yeah. Yes, Lord, I love you. And my God, we're all the arms. Now yeah. we're much colder, but the arms are folded <laughs> and the puffer oh, jackets are still on. Yeah. And like, there's just no expression because Repressed. we're... Oh my God. But here's the reason it can't die. Okay, so even if the priest numbers are dropping, congregation numbers are dropping, the reason it can't die is that th this country still, th there's a bit of a debate. Now, we won't go into it here. We'll leave it to prime time. But there's still a bit of debate about getting into primary schools and how a lot of them are still Catholic, even though they're not run by nuns and priests anymore. They still have a Catholic entry and you have to tick a little form that says you're a Catholic. So christenings are big, weddings are big, and funerals are big. And we need those ceremonies. How are we meant to gather to bury people the one that that's the one that I think about the most funerals that's the one because I go there is something beautiful about a funeral where we gather together in a space to mourn and I, I don't know how to replace it with something better that's not a church with a choir which can be just so beautiful so you know I'm very conflicted because as my mother used to always make the great point to me well that's all very well but are you going to rock up uh, for a wedding for your wedding you know, when I said I was uh, done with going to mass, okay, and what are you going to do? But when you want to get married, where yeah, but, do your, that? but your options are humanist, humanist ceremonies, humanist weddings, humanist funerals. They yeah, are now. There are very few. When when I was getting married, I mean, I don't even, I don't know wh whether there was a humanist ceremony. No, we ended not. up having a, a church wedding, even though it wasn't a proper, it was a mixed service because Stephen is a Protestant. But, um, <gasps> and and absolutely, <laughs> hilariously, that is considered a mixed marriage. <laughs> Somebody said to me, would you mind pointing out the differences between um, the Protestants and the Catholics? Would you be hard pressed, apart from the fact that they have no regard? You have no regard for Mary, as I often say. <laughs> no regard for Mary. They don't believe in the poor woman. Um, so, you know, we ended up having like a mixed service in a church where, you know, a priest was happy to agree to that. But there weren't many humanist services. But you're right, they are, there are now. And you much I've only harder. been to one humanist funeral and it was absolutely beautiful. It was here it was in London mm. and it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous wow. because everybody got involved. They had lots of people coming up telling stories. It was funny, really funny. You know, it was like a celebration, Great. a total celebration. They played Elvis because she was a massive Elvis fan. There was photos oh. and flowers everywhere. Like it was so, it was joyous. That and sounds was, wonderful because um, I have been to the odd funeral where the priest might be mispronouncing the name of the deceased. Mm. And it's yeah. sad. And you spot that. It in is it. sad. And actually, I've spent a lot of time at funerals thinking I, I'm, I'm actually desperate for a member of the family to get up and give a eulogy because that's the moment when you actually hear the personal thing. And up until then, it's just the priest and it's a mass. And I go and want to know about this person's life know, just, exactly somebody yeah. please celebrate yeah. this person you yeah. know but mm. maybe we just need to do i presume the humanist funerals are happening and the more they happen the better they'll get i mean i think that the beauty of the humanist service be it a wedding or a funeral or a what do they call them naming ceremonies um is that you you decide how they play out you're so involved all the, the loved ones the family are involved so you put it together with the guidance and the help of this celebrant my first marriage was a humanist wedding and they get they sit down and get to know you and ask you you know they spend a few hours with you and, and your partner and cover all the things that 
you like and love and your trips abroad and how you met and who's important to you. And, and then they, in their um, sermon, I'm sure they probably don't call it a sermon, but chat about you at the beginning. They mention your best friends and your mother and your father by name. And they recount some stories, some anecdotes. And it's just, they just get the gorgeous you are, but you alive or dead, you know, they, it's, it's really, really nice way to, to go about it. Mm. And did you get married a second time, Eva? I did. I got married in a in a um, registry office second time. And how was that experience like compared with the first? Did it? Um, did you like it or it? Would, no, it was lovely. It was probably a little. I wouldn't. Clinical is not the right word because she was very warm and and lovely. The, the the registrar, but there was less involvement. We went for a sort of a slightly more concise affair in in the registry office. So it was probably just. It was quite to the point. <laughs> Let's get in, yeah. get married, and get out. Yeah. Um, okay. It was still, it was still lovely. What was really nice is that my son Jesse was three at the time, and uh, so he was like in my arms as we were giving the vows, and he had the rings, and that was lovely. really special, yeah. really, really, really yeah. lovely. There was, and there was a lovely intimacy about it because it was just immediate family. Um, mm. I think we maybe could have, in hindsight, maybe spent a bit more time writing the words for our for and being a bit more involved in the actual service bit but um but it was still it was still lovely but i, I would the, the humanist vibe was sounds like i'm i'm saying i prefer my first wedding to my second wedding. <laughs> <laughs> it does a little but i know that's not true in my head i'm desperately backtracking going, what is wrong? Well, no, no, no 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 the second one was great the second one was great <laughs> it was brilliant it was brilliant <laughs> I'm much happier now. <laughs> Esther, you had a humanist wedding as well, I think, did you? It wasn't a humanist wedding. It was it was similar it to a humanist church. wedding. It was a ceremony in a registry office first with our um, parents. And that was, you know, where we officially were married. And then we had a separate ceremony two days later. Um, my brother-in-law, Court, Ellie's brother, he was the officiant. And we got married in Druid Theatre, the little McLally Theatre, because we were introduced by Gary Hines and she very kindly said that we could ha- use the theatre space. And my mother-in-law, she's a rabbi and my parents, right. their faith means everything to them. Um, we were basically doing everything that they never imagined for me to be getting married, not in a church and to a Jewish man who was also an atheist. Um, that so Selling that to your yeah, parents is tricky. It is. But we wanted to celebrate the fact that these two families were coming together. And look where we are. And we had friends do, do readings. And we just wanted it to be a celebration of who we are and who we surround ourselves with. And and it was just great. You did oh, Kaylee and everything. It was we did amazing. Kaylee, yeah. Okay. And you also did the, right, the traditional for the chairs, the chair. Yeah, 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 it was amazing. Yeah, it was you so, and Ellie were so lifted much. up above everybody and we all danced around you. It was great. It was gorgeous. Do you know what? I won't go into the story of my wedding because we'd be here for a week. Oh, um, but it was, it was, it was a fabulous wedding for everyone who attended. But for me, there was a lot of trauma. Uh, but the moment <laughs> that I it's really funny though. for everyone who attended, it was absolutely beautiful. I've told you, I, don't, I still cry with laughter with both with the tragedy of it and well, the marriage. You have to share now. <laughs> it's too insane. But however, oh. the, but I'll tell you what I did do. I did made a wrong choice about the music so I was married in a church a lovely little church uh, in Kennedy village and 
<clears throat> and then we went on to Kin- Kennedy Castle, which is where we had the ceremony. But anyway, when I arrived at the freaking church, 40 minutes late, and I had no intention of being late. I'm not into that. I wanted to be on time. So it was pure stress was the reason I was 40 minutes late. Couldn't even open all the buttons on the back of the dress hadn't been opened or anything. Oh, it was just shocking. Anyway, I had chosen a four piece bit of music. What are they called? A quartet. Thanks for the help. Right. A quartet. <laughs> to play uh, a piece of music and for some mad reason I decided my mother being my mother being from Derry uh, I think is your mother from Derry as well two Derry girls on this podcast um, I chose the piece of music called The Coolin it's a gorgeous piece of music but it's not entrance for a bride it's um, but in my mind it must have been I must have been seeing a movie, do you know what I mean? Where you'd hear this soul-searching piece of music and it was winter, so there was a lot of, a lot of candles and, you know, uh, what were those flowers? <laughs> the end of October. The Lilies. Big, the big, no, the big French flower. Why can't I think? Why can't I think? <laughs> sunflowers thing. Jesus Christ. That's a new law. I can't find the name for sunflowers. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, do you know, the church was, it was like wintry, almost like there'd be a fog. I was, I was picturing that there'd be a nice fog. <laughs> To sort of accompany me going in and that the cooling would play. Anyway, we were at the door and my poor father was there walking me in, quite stressed. We were all stressed. The next thing, there was one lone fiddle playing. Now, I'm doing a terrible service because this was a good fiddle player, but I could only hear one fiddle and I was thinking, why can I not hear four instruments? Because I, I, I booked a quartet for sure, but no... One fiddle, and we were we were about ten steps into the walk, and my father said to me, "This is like a death march." <laughs> and he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. I could see people looking at me with desperation. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! There's no joy in this. And it was. Just, and by the time I got to the top, I wasn't a bit, I wasn't even thinking about Steve. I wasn't looking at him. I wasn't happy to see him. I just glared at the fiddle player. And I was kind of like this sort of glare of what the fuck was that? And, and I was looking, and then I saw the other three musicians just standing there doing nothing. And I'd said to my sister, Emer, who was across the music, I said to her much later afterwards, the fuck happened with the end? She said, well, they just decided that the coolum would be nicer played on a on a solo fiddle, like one one violinist. And to me, it was just terrific. And my poor father, the dad march. That's one element, okay? That's just one element oh, that I, I'm sharing with you. And I, I, I'll tell I you, want, maybe... I, I'd like every week to have a, a, the a next instalment on your wedding. So you can just give us a, a little snippet. I'll next... give you... I'll give you one more snippet, which was that the photographer was on fire on the altar. He he backed in. <laughs> I'm not joking you. He backed into the candles and he was in a leather jacket. He went. And the next thing, I could see him do this. Look, you could see me on the Zoom there just patting me out. Kind of putting out small flames in his arm. So. <laughs> Okay, we're moving on. We're moving on. Oh dear, I don't think I can. I need to lie down after that. I was listening to to a little podcast about this little girl who faced her fear. She's OCD and uh, she was terrified of tornadoes and getting sick. And she lived in Nashville and uh, so it was tornado zone okay. So and they lived really near a 
a siren that would go off if there was a, a storm mounting. I mean, that's and, a very real fear, isn't it? Wow. Very. Of course she's yeah. terrified. Yeah. And then she then she had a fear of getting sick. So she had OCD uh, about lots of things, but those were the two main things. And uh, it all came to a head one day. God love her. She was in school and it was very cold outside. So she was wearing two coats and they did a, a test and the siren went off and all the little girls had to go under the desks and she was so terrified. She didn't take off her coats, so she got really, really hot and then she got sick. So it was like her two big fears all came together. And um, what happened was her mother brought her to this place in Florida where young children can face their fears and it's the University of Florida that runs it. And what they do is um, make you face your fears by... In her case, she had to watch videos of tornadoes. So you're watching the thing that you fear the most and you have to name your OCD. Your OCD is saying, you're going to get sick, you're going to get sick, you're going to get sick. And she has to say, I'm going to get sick, I'm going to get sick, I'm going to get sick. You have to tell your fear that, yeah, I am going to get sick, I am going to get sick, I am going to get sick. And then eventually it goes away because you, it's kind of a reverse psychology. And it worked and she just, it was just this gorgeous podcast. It made me think about when we were in LA, in Santa Monica and, uh, and Ellie and I, we were lying in bed. We were asleep, but it was that kind of drifting off sleep. And it was around one o'clock in the morning and we heard this clink, 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 clink. And then it stopped and Ellie said, what was that? And I said, I think it was a Coke can being pushed down the street by the wind. And he thought, oh, okay. And so I believe that's what it was. And we went back to sleep. Some hours later, I got up to go to the toilet. And I went into the bathroom and I do not turn on the light when I pee at night because there's enough light coming in. I sat down and I moved the ribbon that was on my pajamas away from the inner part of my thigh so that I wouldn't wet it when I peed. And I peed. described. And I peed and I went back into bed. And because I had woken up, Ellie woke up. And then he went to pee. And he does turn on the light because he does not want to miss the toilet. And he turned on the light and I heard... Jesus. Oh my God. And I, I sat up and I went, what the fuck? And there was silence. And I went, what was it? Ellie? And he said, you don't want to know. And I thought, uh. I do want to know actually. No. And then he opened the door again. He lifted the toilet and he went oh, and he slammed the door again this time I jump out of bed and I'm staring at him and he won't look at me I'm staring at him what is it and he put his hand to my face without even looking at me and he went you don't want to know and I went he's telling me that because he knows that what's in there is something that I hate like a fucking rat. And then the next thing Mm -hmm. I hear Mm -hmm. 
And then I hear Ellie opening the toilet again and slamming it down again. Oh, dear God. And I then I, I remember. This is going. And then I remembered. <laughs> there is no ribbon <gasps> on my pajamas. <gasps> oh, my God. <gasps> oh. Oh. oh, my God. It was a tail. It was a tail or a rattle or a something. And I am crawling around the floor and Ellie is slamming the toilet down and there's all this noise I hear. It's okay, now come here. Can I just interrupt you? Was that all from one rat or was there a load of them? One rat. Oh, Jesus. There's a rat, pissed on a rat. in the toilet and I sat down and oh. I pissed on the rat. Well, that was a good thing. I mean, you <gasps> might have killed the rat or poisoned it or something. No, I didn't. No, they're too strong for the that. rat. No. Survived. Oh, the rat survived and screeched, and I screeched, and it screeched, and Ellie was like trying to like, what are we going to do? He got tape, and he taped shut the toilet. <laughs> Close the door. I was already. I grabbed my computer. I was like, we're leaving out of the house. Out of the house, I'm done. Well, it was five o'clock in the morning. We're leaving and we're not coming back. And we went to Starbucks. Which <laughs> we're all, we're all traumas are solved. And we went at, to Starbucks. Starbucks the end. At, <laughs> at 5.30 in the morning, I think we had to wait till they opened. And I'm sitting there going, oh, I was looking gosh. at, looking at, I was looking at new apartments. I was in a new apartment. Oh. The dread that this thing—I don't even know what part of the body it was. It was the tail. It was the tail. The ribbon and the, the pajamas is just like that's—that's oh. that's a horror story right there. And what had happened was the clinking, clanking Coke Coke can, can was the rat that was jumping along the flat roof, oh. and there was a cap that should have been on top of one of the pipes. The rat jumped into the pipe and fell all the way down into the pipe oh, into and the came up into the toilet. It is a one in a million chance that this can happen. And it happened to us. Tell and me this now. Do you ever wee in the dark again? I do, because I get, do. I faced my fear. The first few nights, yes, the lights stayed on. And I peed, not sitting down, and I kept checking the toilet, and it became, I, I knew that I could go a slippery slope where I would end up having this immense paranoia. And I had to keep reassuring myself that this was, in fact, a one in a million chance of a thing happening. And after maybe a week or two, then I was able to see the funny side by recounting the story and explaining this thing happened and whenever I relive it it is equally as it's horrendous yeah oh I could tell by the scream I could tell from the scream well I was thinking to myself as you did it though that's the reason she's the queen of the audiobooks the way you you pulled back from the microphone there to have a good scream like Celine Dion (laughs) so that happened my friend 
<clears throat> but was that your facing your fears? Like you didn't have to go and look at rats or anything like that. Oh, to, no, no. Like, have you, then, have you still got no, a fear of rats? No, I don't, because then we lived in this other house <clears throat> up in the hills. Our friends um, had this gorgeous house um, that you had to climb up loads and loads of steps to get to the house. It used to be an old hunting cabin in the 40s. And the beauty of it was, yes, there's these fabulous views, but it meant that you were dealing with lots of different animals. Wildlife, there, yeah. there were raccoons there. I had skunks in the house one day. I was on my own. I had to try and get rid of them. I've seen and that video. You sent me that video. video. Yeah. And yeah, then the and then Ellie and I would be on the deck and he would say, well, if you turn around, it's like the 405 freeway behind you because of all the tree rats that would crawl the wires at night. But tree did, rats? Tree rats, yeah. And you'd hear them on the roof and it, it was fine. It actually didn't bother me as much as it would have some years previous before I peed on a rat in the toilet. It was... <laughs> <laughs> and, she's, and, you, and she wasn't pregnant. <laughs> I wasn't pregnant. There was no plus or minus sign. Well, when you, when you, when you, know, when you, when you end up living among them and know that they are everywhere. Um, so I've got a cat who brings in his kills every, uh, we'll get, we'll get one a week usually. Wow, a that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have you a cat. Him, you, yeah, but, yeah, but your cat's useless, isn't it? Well, she's brought in the odd bird and a mouse or two. Yeah. Okay. All right. But she wouldn't okay. be one a week now. No, but yeah. I have a cat because I won't have a mouse. So this yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. have a cat because I love cats. Well, Chief, I, my cat, my cat gets a bit carried away. Like he's a bit of a, like he likes. He's a killer. He likes, he's a killer. He's a he's killer. A killer. Once so a week. We've, had, a lot we've, we've had numerous things come through the cat flap. And do we you were, not find that traumatic? Because I find that very traumatic. I don't. We always had cats growing up. So there was always kills on the back doorstep. And I used to bury them as a child. I used to have little, make little graveyards in the in the back garden. And I'd bury them. I'd be very sorry. Oh, for okay. So in my whole year days where I'd, I would pray at the graveside. Um, <laughs> <of a dead mouse. laughs> so I'm very, very used to him. But he brought a goldfish home one evening, which was clearly somebody's pet. Mm. Well, the goldfish won't um, remember. And he the owner unfortunately will and he's brought brought home a budgie which is clearly a pet as well the most unusual thing where is he finding these though are they neighbours budgies and goldfish your neighbours your neighbours have but there was the weirdest Mm. one which I found upstairs um, was it was um, I don't think it was a rat it was a large mouse which that's not unusual but the large mouse (laughs) was still alive to one of those um, mouse traps, you know the sticky boards that you can buy. They're now yeah. illegal because it's quite a. Cruel the point of those is to kill the mouse. Yeah, so he sticks to the board. They stick to the board and they Whoa. slowly die because they can't get off the sticky board. That's not. But good. he tried to claim that as his own. He's like, I'll have that. There's a mouse. Although he didn't catch it, the sticky board caught it. But he says, I'll still bring it back and claim it as my own. And he brought it through the cat flap, which I've no idea how he got it through the cat oh. flap. He the board and he's a big cat. And he brought it upstairs and he left the sticky board with the stuck mouse. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there you go funny. now. And I also got this. People alive. Cold. A live mouse stuck to a board. Alive, alive. But if I had a cat like yours, like I'd be, I'd be walking around every door terrified of what I was going to find. I mean, he's a murderer, even like that's. <laughs> and even when he doesn't murder it, he'll still claim it. My God.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> so I'm conflicted at the moment, right? Let me run this by you because mm-hmm. I'm wondering, I'm conflicted about how much we, I tell my children how truthful I am and how much um, we know when to lie. We lie about Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. That's all fine. That's all fantastical lies that most parents do to their kids. But what keeps coming up with my son, who is seven, is uh, the questions slash lies over death. What happens when we die? And it's prompted by the fact that he doesn't, is uh, Ross's father, who died when Ross was 20. So I never knew. Jesse only knows him from photographs. Colin is his name. So very much to keep Colin's memory alive, we talk about him. So Jesse, from quite a young age, has asked what has happened to Colin. What, what, why, why is he not with us anymore? And when he's very young, you can kind of fudge it off a bit, can't you? Kind of say, oh, well, hmm. he was just, you know, it's, he's in a lovely place now. He's in a place called heaven and it's where you go. And, and so that then grew to Jesse asking, well, am I going to go to heaven it's like, well, not for a very, very long time. He's like, well, will you come with me? So, so, yep, we'll all be there together. And will Chief be there? Yep, Chief will be there. And so Even the murderer. Cat, murderer. <laughs> Even the murderer. The murderer. Cat, cat murderers are the murderous cat. Everybody's welcome. <laughs> <laughs> we do not discriminate. This house and all your stuff, it's a brilliant place. And, um, well, can't we put so lovely? Can we go now? Uh, no. No, we definitely cannot go now. You don't want to go to heaven now. It's happening much, much further down the line. Well, mm-hmm. what age will I be? Oh, no, no, no. Cut to me saying nobody's going to die. We, we all stay alive. Nobody, I, I just panic. I panic when I'm put on the spot. I have nothing prepared is the point. Nothing prepared at all. So now the question is not about heaven. He's kind of, he's got some idea in his head about what happens in heaven. Now that he's a little bit older, he wants to know how Colin died. So Colin died... And this is not what we told him, but this is the truth. He had an aneurysm from, he was standing at the top of the stairs and it was immediate and he fell down the stairs and he died. Tragic, awful, awful accident. He was- And that's a scary- Early 50s, 54, I think he was. Very scary. So we didn't tell Jesse that. So we kind of um, said, oh, he got very sick, very unusual thing. And it doesn't happen often and sort of, was quite vague about it. Then he spoke to his cousin Betsy, who's the same age, literally six weeks older than Jesse. And she told him that Colin fell down the stairs because he was wearing a pair of high heels. 
Oh my God. A whole train of thought. Oh Pittsburgh. Jesus, he's transgender <laughs> now. Oh God. <laughs> if I appeared at the top of the stairs in a pair of high heels, the poor child would fall apart. So oh. I, I went the high heels. So we had to tell them no, that 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 didn't happen, Dean. But then we couldn't go into the details of how he did die because Jesse has lots of phobias about things going wrong. And talking about facing your fears. Okay. He is very fearful of things going wrong in the body, in his body, primarily. So we had a whole spell a couple of months ago where it was, we thought it was a real, you know, it kind of took over. He, it was consuming his day to day. Something's wrong with my body. Something's wrong with my body. It's now subsided. I actually think it was a living through this pandemic that triggered it all off and listened oh, to people getting and all the rest. God love me. He got yeah. very, very anxious about it. Like mm. literally every few minutes has something gone wrong in my head is it do i look funny in my eyes like it was every few minutes for a couple okay. of weeks mm. so and the, story, yeah. the aneurysm was not yeah so we couldn't yeah. just be straight up there no he no, can't so but it keeps coming out. and now joni has started to ask joni's three and a half how did colin die because she's hearing jesse asking how did colin die what are we supposed to tell our kids and at what age because i never have anything prepared and i'm always put on the spot and i always panic and I always saying something ridiculous like, no, we'll all be alive forever and living in a new planet called Zingabell. I'm seriously happy. And, 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 and just making up ridiculous, ridiculous stories. So is there, a, is there an answer? Is there something that we should be telling our kids? Your kids are a bit older, Dee. What have you, what do you say to them about? Well, I, my kids were, I, generally speaking, I think the honesty is the way because I do think they understand when they're being told the truth. But I hear your fear with Jesse because he's obviously very vulnerable and he's got these issues with things. However, I think if you use, my instinct would just be, just look, this is what happened. He had a thing called an aneurysm. It's a very, very, very rare thing. He was un just an unlucky man. It was very rare. It's not going to happen to you. It's not going to happen to me. But we had Steve's sister, Fiona, die at 41. And very similarly, we like to talk about her. We had, like to have pictures of her. And as you say, to keep the memory alive is lovely. So we, we've had open conversations about cancer. Then, of course, we had the added complication that Stephen got cancer. So at the time, we, I just said he had to have surgery and he wasn't well, but he was going to get better because I felt it would be too much to scare them. For sure. But I had told them that Fiona had died of cancer. And I, that's why I'm kind of saying with you, with the aneurysm, it's a very rare thing. I think once you go to that place of this is very rare, it, it can't happen to you, possibly. You could tell that why. Yeah, yeah. But if you don't tell him the truth now and you continue to spin something, it'll become yeah, a bigger nice. web. Yeah, it'll become a bigger web. It'll be harder to re-explain at some point. That's my, my yeah. instinct. I don't know if yeah. I'm right or wrong. But so I think honesty, but not detailed blow by blow. Well, it's yeah. not much different from a heart attack, an aneurysm. Mm. Like mm. If, you, if, he, if it was a heart attack, you'd probably say he had a heart attack. That's a very rare thing where the heart just stops. Mm. I think he's just going to have to face it where you say this, it won't happen. It's not going to happen to you. That's, mm. that's I think. I think that's probably, the only reassuring thing you can say. Yeah, because yeah. I think that they know when you're telling them the truth. I think they do. And you know what? He asked me at the age of five, he'd asked me something about um, thieves or crooks. He was asking what the police did. And I think he'd heard something about, you know, um, a baddie and been, you know, going to prison. And and he asked me something about it. And he's about five years of age. And he said, do those people, are they real? Is there lots of 
bad people out there. And I went, no, no, there's not at all. There's very, very few. And the police are there to protect us. And there's some, but, and he looked at me and he kind of shook his head almost. This is such a young age. And he went, you know more and you're not telling me. And I said, um, and I, I said, well, maybe there's just some stuff that you don't need to know as a child and that you learn about when you get older and it's okay then. And he went, you're not telling me everything because you're, you think I'll get scared. Well, sort of. And he says, but then I'm going to find out when I get older and I'm not going to be scared then. And I was like, you'll just understand the world in a different way. But I thought, how astute yeah. of a five-year-old to know, to look at me kind of go, I know you're not telling me the whole yeah. picture. And I yeah. kind of get it because I think I don't want to know the whole picture, but I see what you're doing. Yes, I understand. Very clever. Yeah. yeah. Well, we push that to the max by really trying to operate a no lying household. Like within reason, of course, there are some elements of life when how am I made? So we've told him about the sperm and the the egg coming together. We haven't quite mentioned how the sperm and the egg actually oh, merge. Don't tell it's, him yet. it's too traumatic. No, it's too traumatic. <laughs> but but the questions that are being asked, he's asking us in all sincerity about what happens. So it's hmm. I think he's heard about death and dying and what's happening from a very early age. And we haven't, we didn't shy away from it. But I think it's probably more difficult if Jesse, if he thinks Colin had an aneurysm, is my dad going to get an aneurysm? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. my. Know where their heads will go. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So, but it's the same thing happened with Lewis because Ellie's dad died of a heart attack. He had his first heart attack when he was 44. Um, and he's, he had many heart attacks until the last one when he was 74 and uh, Ellie then was going to get his heart checked when he came here and going through lots of tests. And, and Lewis was like, it's so that you don't die. Like, no, no. And Ellie said, yeah. And he went, yeah. So you want to protect your heart. So you don't die like no, no. So you can stay living longer because we're all going to die eventually. And we went, yeah. Um, and so it was very pragmatic and, that okay, sounds but, like it's, yeah. I don't remember being sat down and death being explained to me. I don't remember that. I remember mom sitting Nothing down was explained to that Nothing generation. was explained. No, but do you know what? Where babies came from, she just touched on. I remember my mother sitting down with a book, like a cartoon animated book of two robots and one robot sticking <laughs> its, its robot what? appendage into the robot. No way. Wow. wow. That's that actually quite progressive. Very. Well, as we know, Ursula and I are quite progressive. Um, when Jesse asked me about where babies came from, I was, I panicked. I panicked. As simple as that. I panicked. I knew that I did not want to tell the stork story because it's fucking ridiculous. And I did not want to mention penis and vagina because that's too traumatic for a seven-year-old. So I said, myself and your father asked the world, put it out there that we wanted a baby. And because we got lucky, because some people aren't lucky and they can't have them, we got lucky and I found a seed under my pillow. Oh my and he went, God. what when you, and he, yeah. And he went, what, like the tooth fairy? And I was like, yeah, like the tooth fairy. And he went, oh, what did you do with the seed? And I was like, I swallowed it. <laughs> I, like I swallowed the seed. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. And in my head, it's like, wrong, 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 oh, wrong, wrong. Stop talking, stop talking. And, you know, and then what happens to seed? It sits in your stomach. And I was like, yeah, it kind of does. And it kind of grows. Yeah. And he went, do you not squash the seed when it's under your pillow? It's like, 
it's so tiny it's so tiny <laughs> and and he says and then the baby grows inside you he's like then the baby grows inside you and then they take it out of your tummy and I was like and they well well you kind of push it out. you sort of push it out of your you push it out it's very complicated it's very kind and I'm going to tell you the rest of that story another time cut to last week his auntie had a baby and she had a cesarean, beautiful little baby boy. And uh, I was telling the kids, you've got a new cousin. He's, he's, he's here. And I said, well, your auntie, her tummy's very sore. Uh, and he went, I, why is her tummy sore? I said, well, they have to take it out for her tummy. And I'm already kind of going, don't go into cesarean. She's but panicking now. I can see it. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> don't, don't, mention, don't mention cutting tummies. That's put them off having children for life. He went, but doesn't a baby come out of your bottom? And I was like, um... N- no, no, it comes out of your vagina. It comes out of your vagina. And he's like, but why is it coming out of her tummy? Because there's two ways babies come out and you get to pick. And one's a vagina and one's... That's not untrue. Not, that's that not, is not... That's untrue. not untrue. Good. The look yeah. of horror on his face. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, I'm not leaving him with the idea that it comes out of your arse. <laughs> um, but I actually think the poor child's biggest disappointment is going to be when he finds out that his father is not Batman because Ross has spun this yarn for about four years now that he's the real Batman. Uh, And I have said to him time and time again, you have to tell that child that you're not Batman because he 100% thinks that you are the caped crusader. And he is going to be absolutely devastated. Oh, when he realizes my. that you are not Batman, I have the, the, I have to <laughs> tell you the story I heard, which was about this woman who was a single parent, and her and her son. You can imagine just her and one child at home. So your their bond is incredibly tight. It's just the two of them in this world together. And she, so she was brilliant. As she said, I was too good at being Santa Claus. So her Santa Claus thing was that the presence, you know, she spun the yarn of Santa, the child, because it was just them, those two in it, in this world, he believes every single word that comes out of her mouth. And the Santa Claus thing went on and on and on. And he was 10 and he was still fully believing in Santa Claus. And she was starting to panic a little bit now because other children, his friends were kind of going, Santa's not real. And he was going, Santa is real and you need to cop on to yourself, basically. So this went on and then he was 11 and then he was 12 and about to go to secondary school. And she thought, I can't have him be a laughing stock at secondary school. I'm going to have to tell him because he just bought it. She was too good. She said I was too good at it. So she sat him down and she said, I am Santa Claus. She said the devastation, the child was devastated. Anyway, he just quietly went, I have to process this. He went upstairs. The next thing she heard, stomping and banging and closing, banging up doors and throwing things around. And I can't believe this. And she was like, oh, Jesus, sitting at the table. Oh, sweet Christ. And after about 10 minutes, he came down the stairs and he said to her, I suppose you're going to tell me now that the tooth fairy's not real either. <laughs> The poor woman had to go back and tell him everything was a lie. So yeah, Ross is in trouble. And then, I mean, the the trust, the trust is gone. No, the trust, the poor child had to tell him everything, the whole, anything you could ever think of the Easter bunny. Well, this is why it brings it all back to when Ellie and I, not even two months into our relationship, 
and uh, he'd come home to meet my parents and it was, uh, he thought it was after Christmas because he's Jewish, so he didn't know that Christmas actually goes on beyond <laughs> the 28th of December. It just, I love and, that. Uh, and he came into the house and he saw all the pictures of Jesus and the Sacred Heart. And I was seeing the house through his eyes. And then we had to go and have a cup of tea in a cafe. He said to me, I can tell you right here and now that there will be no Santa Claus. And I I said, excuse me? He said, yeah, I'm just, there would never be Santa Claus. Like, I won't do that. And I said, well, this isn't going to work. This isn't just isn't going to work <laughs> because. Wow, that was a tough one. Two months in. I, two months in. Because it was such a cultural thing. And for it was for me, it was the deal breaker. Because I went, well, I'm not doing that. So we were here imagining in our very early relationship, if we have children, he's not going to do Santa Claus. And I went, no, I, I won't do that because there has to be Santa Claus. He's like, well, I will not lie to my child. And I went, well, then this isn't going to work because I can't imagine my childhood without Santa Claus. I mean, it, it is the magic it, of Christmas. Yeah, I know. And for us, Santa Claus, like that's a part of your childhood. That's the, the magic of being little. Yeah. Yeah. But for him, Elise, because he was a Jewish child, he didn't have Santa Claus. So yeah. it was... I, again, so, I understand. And so, and so we're 16. A prenup? Was there another prenup? There was, a, there was a prenup. It was kind of an unspoken prenup. It's like by the time we had Lewis, we'd been together for 10 years. And so what we did is we learned to compromise where I... We're not going to do Christmas huge, but we are not. We are going to do Santa Claus, but keep it very small and not play it up. And I know that whenever Lewis says talks about Santa, Ellie says, yeah, I'm not the right person to talk to about that. So he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't tell <laughs> Lewis that Santa does not exist. He just tells Lewis. I'm not the right person to And Eva, that is, should be your answer when you're asked about sex from either of your children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not the right person. I'm not the right person to talk about. Ask Batman, he'll tell you. <laughs> Batman has all the answers. Thank you so much. That's all from this week's episode, Ask Batman, and we will be dropping another podcast this coming Thursday. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. And we'll see you then. Adios, amigos. This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.